Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Numbers. Hello, friends and faithful listeners. Thanks for tuning into the Bible Explained podcast. My name is Jen, and I am here to talk about Numbers chapter 6 with you guys today, verses 1 through 21. And today's portion of scripture is very interesting because it is talking about the Nazarite laws. So let's figure out what the Nazarite laws are, and let's read Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. So grab your Bible and your cup of coffee or your cup of tea, and let's go ahead and read. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, When either a man or a woman shall make a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to Yahweh, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of fermented drink, neither shall he drink any juices of grapes, nor eat fresh grapes or dried. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is made of the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skins." All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall come to his head until the days are fulfilled in which he separates himself to Yahweh. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to Yahweh, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to Yahweh. If any man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles the head of his separation, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tent of meeting. The priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he sinned by reason of the dead. And he shall make his head holy that same day. He shall separate to Yahweh the days of his separation, and shall bring a male lamb a year old for a trespass offering. But the former days shall be void, because his separation was defiled. So I'm going to go ahead and stop there, and I'll read the rest later. But for the first few paragraphs here, from verses 1 through 12, it talks about how a Nazarite was a very special person. But the cool thing about the Nazarite law was the fact that it didn't matter who you were. All you had to do was be an Israelite and be following God. And anyone could take on this like Nazarite law. So anyone could become even more separated, even more set apart. And this is very similar to the priest, actually, and even more intense than the priest. This is more similar to like the high priest, which is really cool, because if you think about it, the high priests were ordained by God, very much set apart, and they could only be Levites and they could only be men. But for this, a man or a woman of any tribe could basically do similar things to what the high priest did, become even more set apart. There's very few women in scripture that we know of that took on the Nazarite law besides uh, Samson's mother for a short period of time. And I don't know why this is. Maybe women just didn't do it. Maybe it got misconstrued later on in time that only men could do it. Maybe just women didn't want to do it. I don't know. But we don't know of many women that did do the Nazarene the, or the Nazarite uh, vow, but 
it was open for women to do it. This was not just for men. This was for everybody. So it says either a man or a woman shall make a special vow. So that's basically what a Nazarite was. It was a person that decided to make a special vow. And it was probably something that had to do with a physical thing, like a purposefully abstaining from something. And that was the Nazarite vow a person would take. Say they wanted to abstain from sexual relations of any kind, or they wanted to abstain from, I don't know, eating something in particular. Then uh, they would do the Nazarite vow and do all these rules that is listed out from verses 1 through 12. So the first rule was the fact that they couldn't eat or drink any kind of vinegar or alcohol, wine, nothing. Anything that was associated with wine was not, they were not allowed to drink or eat of it. This included grapes and raisins. And it also included vinegar because we know that vinegar is pretty much just wine that has been over fermented and no longer has alcohol in it. That's basically what vinegar is. So anything even associated with wine or strong drinks or spirits of any kind, they were not allowed to drink or eat it. Now, why they weren't allowed to eat raisins and grapes or drink vinegar? A lot of people think that it's because of more Canaanite kind of cult things, because we do know know that uh, raisin cakes back in uh, these days were considered like the fertility cake that the women would eat and try to gain fertility through it. So it could be associated with that, just like abstaining from any kind of Canaanite religion or tradition or whatever. But more than anything, I think this is just a strict diet to not tempt the person into drinking alcohol of any kind. I think it's just a strict diet. And so if the Nazarite wanted to do the Nazarite vow, they would have to make sure that they are actively watching what they are eating. I know a handful of people that uh, don't drink milk or any kind of dairy of any kind. And they are actively looking at the ingredients lists every single time they go to buy something because they want to make sure they're not drinking milk of any sort. And it's really a pain in the neck for me personally because... (laughs) Because they're actually in my college and career group, or one of them used to be, but they had this like special diet that they had to follow. And it was so annoying for me because whenever I cooked, I had to make sure to leave out the milk or make a dairy free option or do this or that. And so finally, at the end of it, I told them they had to go buy their own food. (laughs) But I don't always do that. Sometimes I do offer milk free products, I suppose. But anyway, if two college and career students that I know can follow these rules to make sure that they are not taking in dairy of any kind, God wants us to do the same thing for him. That strict adherence to making sure that you are taking care of your body, God wants that strict adherence to make sure that you are following your vow perfectly. And so I think that's really the main thing with the not eating grapes or raisins or anything, is just God wants that same level of care that we put into our own bodies. God wants that from us. So these Nazarites would have to make sure they're being very careful not to eat anything with vinegar, like pickles or olives or anything like that, and also not to eat 
grapes or raisins and to make sure that nothing was cooked in in wine or nothing had uh, alcohol in it at all. And this was proving that they cared about this vow that they were taking and that they wanted to do the best they possibly could. Now, the other rule that they had was the fact that they had to let their hair grow. They were not allowed to put a razor to their heads or to cut their hair. So the hair had to grow long, and this was a physical representation of the vow that they were taking, that they were under a vow. And this was kind of showing the world that the Nazarites were setting themselves apart for God by not shaving or cutting their hair. It was just a physical representation of what they were doing. And God says that that hair that they are growing is actually holy. Because from the time that they start that vow, they are being holy. They are being set apart. So the hair that they're growing is becoming holy. So after this, God says that the third rule is the fact that the Nazarites couldn't touch a dead body. It didn't matter who it was. They could not go near a dead body. This was also a priestly rule. But it was interesting because the priest's rule was that they could defile, quote unquote, defile themselves for their father, mother, brother, for a close family member. But for the Nazarite, they couldn't do it at all. This was like the high priest. The high priest was not allowed to go near any dead body at all. So the Nazarite is actually similar to how the high priest was supposed to live also. Very set apart, very different, very holy to God. But this is the most interesting part of it for me. Say a Nazarite is in a, a room with a whole bunch of people and a man next to them, a man or a woman, dies very suddenly. Because that Nazarite happened to be in the same room nearby that person right next to him, his vow is now void. Everything that he did up until this point is void. The coolest thing about this is the W.E.B. actually says the word sin here. Here's what it says here. Eight days after this person dies next to them, it says, On the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and to make atonement for him because he sinned by reason of the dead. And he shall make his head holy that same day. I mean, how about that? Is that not interesting? That choice of words that God gives here, the word sinned. But we wouldn't think of this Nazarite as sinning. You know, when we hear the word sin, when you and I hear the word sin, we think of somebody going out and committing a sin. And yes, that's true. People go out and commit sins all the time. We all do. But we don't think of sin in this context of sin just existing and causing us to be corrupt, even though we didn't go out and physically sin. Because the earth is corrupt. We caused the earth to become corrupt. We missed the mark. Everything has missed the mark. Every human has missed the mark. No matter how good they try to be, every human misses the mark because they are surrounded by the, the sin that causes corruption, that causes death. Death is a representation of sin because in the Garden of Eden, God did not create death. Adam and Eve were never supposed to die. They were supposed to live forever in the Garden of Eden. But then once sin entered, so did death. So corruption because of sin is everywhere. And even though this Nazarite didn't go out and physically try to commit a sin, he still missed the mark because corruption on earth is everywhere. This is why I am not a fan 
when people are like, oh, that person's such a sinner over there. That person is a sinner because we're all sinners. Literally, we are surrounded by sin. We cannot be free of it except through Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came to earth, he freed us from the power sin has over us. We now can have life with Jesus because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. But I just found that really interesting. The fact that the Nazarene, though he did not go out and commit a sin, God still considers this a sin because it is. He missed the mark. So a lot of times, though the word sin is used correctly, we often use it incorrectly as well because sin literally just means to miss the mark. And that's what this Nazarite did. And so in order to have this Nazarite be freed from this sin that he did not commit, but that it happens, you know, free from missing the mark, he has to go to the tent of meeting and take a sin offering for the for the burnt offering and then make atonement and shave his head. So he had to shave his head because the hair became corrupted. Remember, his hair was holy throughout all the days that uh, he or she was set apart for God. His or her hair became holy. They'd have to shave it off and start all over again. So if they were a Nazarite for like five years, if they were at the end of their fifth year and like just about to stop doing this vow and somebody died next to them, they'd have to start all over again. (laughs) Maybe that's why not a lot of people took this vow. (laughs) I don't know, though. But anyway, let's finish up by reading verses 13 through 21. This is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tent of meeting and he shall offer his offering to Yahweh. One male lamb, a year old, without defect for a burnt offering. One ewe lamb, a year old, without defect for a sin offering. One ram without defect for a peace offering. And a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil with their meal offering and their drink offerings. The priest shall present them before Yahweh and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. He shall offer the ram for the sacrifice of the peace offerings to Yahweh with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer also its meal offering and its drink offering. The Nazarite shall leave the head of his separation at the door of the tent of meeting, take the hair of the head of his separation and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved the head of his separation. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before Yahweh. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is offered. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows and of his offering to Yahweh for his separation, in addition to that which he is able to afford. According to his vow which he vows, so he must do after the law of his separation. All right, so the Nazarite, whenever he was finished with his vow, because at the very beginning of the vow of being a Nazarite, he or she would have to say how many months or years or whatever that they were going to be a Nazarite and fulfill this vow. Now, after it was all over with, they would go to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and bring all these gifts. First would be a sin offering, one would be a peace offering, and another one would be a burnt offering. Then they would also bring uh, the meal offering or the grain offering, and then a drink offering. And so these things, the priest 
would do different things for. They'd burn the burn offerings. They would burn the sin offering. And then they would uh, boil. It looks like they would boil the peace offering because the peace offering was allowed to go back to the person who made who wanted to bring the peace offering. So the peace offering was not fully burned, like the sin offering and the burnt offering. The peace offering would go back home with uh, the person who brought it and they would eat it together with their family. And this was like having fellowship with God, having God's peace on that house uh, through the food, basically. So the, the priest would give the boiled ram's shoulder, I think, back to the Nazarite and with the, um, with the, basket of unleavened bread as well. And part of that bread would be burned as a burn offering. Part of it would be given to the priest, I believe, and then part of it would go back home with the former Nazarite who had brought it. So for the Nazarite himself or herself, he or she would then shave all of his or her hair. And the priest would pick it up and he would put it on the offering of the burnt offering. The hair was considered to be holy, don't forget. This was like what separated the Nazarite from the other other people. So the hair was totally holy. And that hair would be given completely to God at that point. As this Nazarite was starting his or her life into normal society once again. So that's what the priest would do. It was just like a whole ceremony of the Nazarite. And this was something to be celebrated because the Nazarite would go home and it says they may may now drink wine. So the Nazarite would probably go home, celebrate with the peace offering and then with drinking wine. They would celebrate. This was a good time. This was a time that the Nazarite was able to be thankful that he completed the vow that he wanted to do. So then it says after this in verse 21 to conclude, this is the law of the Nazarite who vows and of his offering to Yahweh for a separation in addition to that which he is able to afford. So they were supposed to bring the gifts, but if the Nazarite wanted to bring more gifts, because maybe they did, maybe they were so like, you know, excited about fulfilling their vow that they wanted to give more gifts to God, they could. They didn't have to just bring this stuff that was required. They could bring more than what was required. And don't forget the Nazarite vow was totally the person's choice. Like God did not force anybody to be a Nazarite except for uh, Samson was supposed to take the law or to, to take the um, vow of the Nazarite. But other than him, God didn't really command too many people to become a Nazarite. This was somebody who truly just wanted to do this, wanted to fulfill a vow to God, wanted to have that fellowship with God, wanted to uh, be separated like the priests were, wanted to be even more separated and be able to do this. That was what the Nazarites were. This was a choice that each person could make to fulfill this vow to God. Well, this was some history for you. I think that Numbers chapter six is pretty interesting. Just the Nazarite law in general, lots and lots of history. But really, it just proves that anybody can be holy to God. I think that's really what this proves. Anybody can be holy to God. Even though God had separated the priests specifically for the holy work, anyone could take on this law of the Nazarite, though they couldn't go into the tent and do the same job that the priests were doing, they could still be considered very holy to God in their own separate ways. So that's what I really like about this. This just proves how God cares about everybody so equally and how he was not favoring one tribe over another tribe. It was just one tribe, the Levites, 
were separated for the work of the tabernacle and others were not. But they were all holy. They could all do this and all take on this uh, responsibility of the Nazarite. So yeah, I think that's something we can think about for us is just that you and I are holy. We can be set apart. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're Jewish or Gentile or whatever. We don't have to worry about any of that. As long as we are God's children, we are set apart. We are holy. So that's something we can take comfort in. So join me on Friday to finish up Numbers chapter 6, but also join me tomorrow for an episode out of Luke. It's going to be a good one. So tune in 6 a.m. or whenever you wake up for that. But guys, go over to the YouTube channel because I am uploading all of my old episodes onto YouTube and I have great plans for the YouTube channel in the future. So I'm going to drop a link to that in the bio of the podcast episode so you can navigate over to YouTube and hit that little subscribe button. Friends and faithful listeners, have a fantastic rest of your day. Happy listening and God bless. Oh.